As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. right to it. And currency market's really moving right now. It'll be interesting to see what we do really in the next uh, one hour to the market. Opening DXY solidly above 108. We're watching Sterling, John and I, 118.31. We will speak to him the day before Powell speaks, and a data-dependent Fed will change to next Thursday. Seth Carpenter of Morgan Stanley will join us. We will be in Jackson Hole. He'll be cool, calm, and collected on the East Coast. We're thrilled that Mr. Carpenter could join us uh, this morning. Seth Carpenter, your note is frightening. The brewing storm you talk about, it sounds like winds of war uh, from 1939 and all. Define the brewing storm. What, what, what is the distinction now of this August of 2022? Yeah, I mean, I think for markets, August is always a low liquidity uh, moment. So you're going to see all sorts of choppiness there. But I think when it comes to the macro front, you've got three key economies in the world. You've got the U.S., You've got Europe, you've got China. China, we know, is struggling. Uh, They had a contraction in Q2. They've got this uh, burgeoning housing problem that they're trying to solve. The PBOC just had to ease policy again in a bit of a surprise move. Now, we think Beijing, through various sorts of policy, both monetary and fiscal, will come to the rescue. But the question is, when does the inflection point happen? Mm. And do we get a big rebound or is it soft? Shifting to Europe... Right. You've got this restriction in gas flow from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That's crippling the European economy. We have a baseline view of a recession in Europe, Q4 being outright contraction, Q1 being another contraction. So that's not a great look. So the U.S. right now, pretty solid. We got the retail sales report in line with our expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, Consensus a little bit. Non-farm payrolls was super strong at over 500,000. But is good news good news in this case? I don't know. The Fed has been very clear. They need to slow the economy down so the stronger it is now, the more hiking right. they have. You know, we always look at our guests and we try to figure out from the back of their bookshelf, Seth Carpenter, what they're actually <laughs> thinking. And it's good to see that you've got Tony Crescenzi of PIMCO, Steigum's fixed income Bible uh, over your right shoulder. What does the bond market tell an economist like you? 
I mean, I think right now the bond market is really struggling to read the tea leaves about what's happening. We saw this sense of relief in markets, I think, when we got CPI tipping over and when the market heard the Fed saying, gosh, we're taking a balanced approach. We care about both the growth in the economy and inflation. But what I think the market didn't hear enough of is the way inflation over the next two years is going to come down to the Fed's target is only if you get enough slowing in growth. And so as a result, mm. you know, we think the peak rate that the market has priced is about right, but the cuts in the mar- that the market has in place for a lot of next year, uh, that's not really consistent with our forecast. Well, on that point, Seth, the market thinks that the Fed is going to get to the terminal rate and then very quickly thereafter come down from it. We've been having the conversation all week as to whether or not that's really true. How long do you think they have to stay up there? I mean, our baseline forecast is that they're there for a year. So they get to the peak rate in December and then the first very grudging, you know, 25 basis point easing off in terms of a cut comes a year later in December of 2023. I mean, the short answer is no one knows for sure. We think the U.S. economy has a fair amount of momentum uh, behind it. And more importantly, as I was saying before, they really do need to slow things down a lot. They need to take job growth from 500,000 per month down to something closer to mm-hmm. 100,000 per month or maybe even a little bit below in order to get that real underlying trend inflation down. So they're going to have to stay tight for a while. How low do you think realistically inflation will get? Is 3% going to be the new 2%? <laughs> so sadly, this is where you get the egg-headed economists talking about the two different measures of inflation, CPI versus PCE. Um, I think 3% on CPI is very, very possible. I don't think the Fed's going to be happy to just let PCE inflation, which is really what they set that 2% target for. I don't think they're going to be happy to let PCE inflation settle in at 3%. They'll be happy when it gets down to 3% if it's on a downward trend, but they're not going to declare victory if it's hanging out at 3% and not budging. Seth, frame your and Ellen Zentner's x-axis. To me, the big mistake here is the now, now, now of how policy is going to move. Is this really a six-quarter, eight-quarter, even 12-quarter path that we're on far longer? Tom, that's that's a great way of phrasing it. I think one issue that's important for everyone to keep in mind is that monetary policy does, in fact, work with the lag. We know that markets are pricing in now a peak rate that's close to where we think the peak rate is, just over 3.6%. But in terms of the actual drag on the economy from uh, that policy stance, it hasn't shown through completely yet. We've seen it in housing. That's important. We're going to see it a bit in durable goods, and we'll see it more in durable goods. But that still has to play out. So it is not what's going on right now that matters. It is, in fact, as you say, what happens over the next two quarters, over the next four quarters, and and yes, ultimately over the next six. How will corporations and their investment react to a pernicious four or 5% inflation? In the United Kingdom, everyone from Liz Trust to uh, Mr. Sunak suggest there's been a dearth of investment in the UK. Are we gonna see a dearth of investment in the United States? So I don't think we're gonna see a dearth of investment, but we we should, by all, all expectations, see a slowing in, in that investment spending. What you see in the macro data is typically business uh, investment spending tends to follow the overall trajectory of the economy. And so if we're right that the slowing in housing, the slowing in durable goods spending, and with it, the slowing in jobs leads to an overall slowing in aggregate demand, then absolutely businesses should be looking around and saying, okay, there's going to be less of a need 
for that sort of aggressive investment spending. I don't think it drops off of a cliff. I don't think we're going to have a massive shortfall. The UK has its own idiosyncratic issues, let's say. Um, but we, we should see things starting to slow down as aggregate demand slows down uh, and businesses pay attention to that. Seth, we all know I read a lot of Morgan Stanley research. I share a lot of it on this program. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, Seth, of course, you'd say that. Seth, I'm wondering when I received that note from you that says global recession, that's the base case. How close are we to you sending that note? Uh, gosh, the SEC would get mad at me if I previewed uh, forthcoming research. Uh, so I will say this. We, we, we definitely had a global recession as one of the scenarios when we put out our mid-year outlook in, in April. And we are very much moving closer and closer to that scenario. I mean, the, the gas situation in Europe matters a lot. And we have a recession in Europe as our forecast. There's clear downside risk to China from their housing situation, oh. something that's got worse since we wrote that note. So we're moving in that direction. Uh, I think it's too soon yet, though, yeah. to call it a recession. Well, John, what this means is Carpenter's got to publish before next Thursday. That's true, Tom. <laughs> That's all it means. We need, we need it before Jackson Hole. <laughs> hey, Seth, awesome to catch up, sir. As always, Seth Carpenter there of Morgan Stanley. Our interview of the day, Jane Foley joins us now from Rabobank. Jane, let's get right to it. John's got a lot of technical questions. I've got one that's just simple. There's a log vector of weaker, weaker work, weaker sterling, and then it rolls over. At what level is the tipping point you have in your head where things fall apart for Governor Bailey? Well, to be honest, there's an awful lot of pressure on Governor Bailey already, certainly from uh, Liz Truss, who looks as if she could be the next uh, Prime Minister of the UK. But I think uh, we could be heading down to 115, maybe 114 um, on uh, on cable, and, and that would add an awful but lot of pressure. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but if we go to 114, is that a trend and a controlled trend, or do things, to borrow a phrase from politics, unravel? You know, I, I think if we're at 115, 114, a lot of that actually really does depend on, on the dollar and specifically on euro dollar, because what we're seeing at the moment is if, if euro dollar dips, and of course it's been dipping, it's very difficult for cable to hang on in there. It's been dragged lower too. So a lot of this is a dollar move, certainly over the, the, the last week. But that said, there is a lot of sterling weakness. You know, the, the pound... Um, has really been suffering, I would say, for the last what, four or five years. Since the 2016 Brexit referendum, sterling has never really been able to recover. Investment has never really been able to recover. Investors are still quite sceptical, I think, of the, the post-Brexit UK economy. And, and the government that we've had hasn't really been able to convince investors to come back in. You've got to bear in mind that the UK's got a current account deficit. And if those overseas savers are looking in at the UK and they're not liking what they're seeing, well, you know, sterling is likely to adjust low. And I I think that's the situation that the pound finds itself in and and without the growth without the investment i think sterling could remain you know pretty weak for a while jane do rate hikes make a difference are you saying they don't i don't think they do i mean look if you go back to may uh, we had admittedly an as expected uh, interest rate hike then it was a 25 back then, back then in, in may and sterling really dove and the reason it it, it, it dived lower was because uh, the, the bank of england at that point in its quarterly review uh, downgraded the inflation uh, sorry downgraded the the um, the growth number um, and if we go if we fast forward to, to to august the next quarterly review this is the one where we have the the the, the, the governor saying we're going to have a five quarter recession 
And, and again, you know, Sterling reacted badly because, you know, if, if, if we think that a lot of this is about the lack of investment uh, growth in, in the UK, um, in, investors need something to hang their hats on. They, they want to see uh, improvements in productivity, improvements in growth. And, mm-hmm. and that's not what they're seeing right now. And, and that's, I think, why Sterling is, is really so, so weak. Well, and the BOE obviously is in a tough spot in that regard, but the ECB is too. There is a question of whether they can do anything to support the euro. If we get a break of parity once again, where's the bottom? Well, you know, I, I think if we were to break parity, I think there's every reason that we could fall quite fast, maybe towards uh, 95. I think there's some options uh, below there which could trigger such a move. And and I think it's I think you're right, really, to make some comparisons between at the Bank of England and where the ECB could find itself perhaps in a few months' time. Because if we look at the situation in, in the Eurozone, it's all about energy. We know that. If we do have, say, blackouts in Germany's uh, industry groups uh, over the winter months, if we do have the market, you know, panicking about what that would mean for Uh, for growth or lack of growth in in the eurozone but that wouldn't necessarily do anything to bring inflation down so we could have a a hawkish uh, ecb in that sort of uh, scenario but that wouldn't be a scenario which we which which would be beneficial for the euro so again it could be that the growth worry overtakes um the 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 outlook for the currency over and above uh, the hawkishness of the central bank well, and there's a question of causation here. Is it is it weakness of the euro or strength of the dollar more so? And on that point, where do you think the peak is on the DXY? Well, you know, I, I think we're going to remain strong at least for the next six months. And and, and I think you're right. For instance, if we look at the uh, G10 currency performance today, actually the, the euro is holding in relatively well, actually better than, than many of the other G10 peers. So this is about dollar strength right now. I mean, of course, there's euro weakness in there and the energy story is really important, but this is about dollar strength. And, and to be honest, I think for a while, the, the, the dollar has got these two-pronged factors driving it. And, and the first is, of course, the Fed. And now the market's again thinking that the Fed could be higher for longer um, in terms of interest rates, that maybe it needs to keep interest rates higher next year uh, uh, Next year, in order to, to, to really get that inflation back in, in, in the box. But the other factor is, of course, safe haven. And don't forget, at the start of the week, we had a lot of poor Chinese data. Now, that's really bad for emerging markets. It's really bad for world growth. Um, and, and that is you know, part of the, the attraction of, of the dollar, this safe haven uh, flow. So I think both of those things together have been pushing the dollar higher. And, and I don't think the dollar's done yet. Jane, with that in mind, what's the downside on a currency pair like cable? Now, once you take out the mid-July lows, what next? You know, I do think 115, 114, you know, we Oof. could certainly see there. But it does depend on where euro right. dollar goes, because there's a bit more of an equal battle at the moment between the poor fundamentals in the sterling and, and yeah. the poor fundamentals in the euro. So I think the, 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 the guide here will be euro yeah. dollar. John, off her wonderful comments, Jane, you'll love this. I just did a log interpolation of euro sterling over to sterling dollar. You ready, John? 111. 111. If you get sterling to strengthen against euro, as Ms. Foley talked about, it roughly interpolates to a 111. Jane Foley of Rabobank. Jane, awesome to catch up. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Right now, an important interview with Patrick Armstrong, CIO of Plurimi Wealth. Patrick, I want to cut to the chase. The level of gloom now approximates the level of gloom of early June. Can you be long equities? I'm at long equities where I have completely flexible mandates. Um, we've got one fund where I can be short or long, and we're 20% long net. So I've got wow. actually 50% of my portfolio on long equities, and I've got 30% in shorts. <clears throat> and there's some extremely cheap stocks out there that I've not seen in decades, really. Like a company like Moeller Maersk is trading at less than two times earnings today. It's paying me a 12% dividend yield. It's buying back shares. It's probably going to pay a special dividend that it'll announce later this year. So it's got a lot of cyclical risk. Freight rates are going to collapse. Market says they're going to collapse starting today. I think those rates don't collapse until we're into next year. I think supply chains remain challenged. A lot of bottlenecks. There's the amount of goods in the world that need to be shipped. And there's not enough shipping capacity. Oil and gas stocks, exact same scenario, and maybe not to the same extent. Market's pricing in oil, plummeting in the future. I don't know if it will. You've not seen the demand destroyed yet. Supply's not coming on stream. And these companies are just producing massive cash flow every day. Patrick, it sounds like you're still long inflation. Well, I think inflation's plateaued in the United States and the strong dollar, um, lower commodity prices are going to see year-on-year prints continue to go down. Um, in Europe, in the UK, um, commodity prices haven't fallen in the same way because the currencies have fallen and electricity prices are jumping and European natural gas is moving higher. So I think you've got a lot of stagflationary forces that are remaining in Europe where the US has probably passed the worst of that. Patrick, just how bad is the story in Europe? And how bad is it relative to the price of the story in the market? I don't think the market's really priced in how bad it can be in Europe, unless something dramatic changes where you do get uh, Russian gas into Europe again. Um, Manufacturing is going to slow. Hiring is going to slow. There's going to be brownouts and blackouts, people told to work from home. Mm. All of those things are negative for the economy, obviously. And um, it's just Germany is going to solve its reliance on Russian natural gas, but it's just not going to be in 2022 in the winter of 2023. It's going to be another year and a half before they can uh, get all the other measures in place that they're not reliant on Russian natural gas. On the subject of Europe, Patrick, one of the lines in your note that stood out to me was the market has the ECB hiking while the Fed cuts in 2023, dot, 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 no way. What do you think is yeah, more it, likely that neither is hiking next year or that both yeah. still are? I think um, neither will be hiking probably when we get to 2023. The U.S. economy is slowing. It's still growing. The employment situation still looks pretty robust that 49% of small companies say they're they're having trouble filling job openings. So um, there's anecdotal evidence about layoffs coming. The PWC's, PWC survey is talking about half of companies doing layoffs next year. But companies aren't being able to fill the job openings they have. Um, Fed's going to be hiking in September maybe once more after that. But uh, while the economy slows and the rest mm-hmm. of Europe falls into a deep recession, I don't think the Fed's going to be doing much in terms of hikes next year, but there's no way the ECB will be hiking with that backdrop. 
Well, I understand how the data could lead to a picture of the Federal Reserve backing off, but does that leave the job on inflation undone? Um, yeah, so Powell characterized where rates were after the last hike as neutral. I don't think that could have been scripted. I don't think it's at neutral. I think if we do another 75 basis points, you can plausibly say that's at neutral. Um, if the economic situation does weaken in the rest of the world, you've got a really strong dollar, that continues to mute out inflation as well. So strong dollar means all your imports are a little bit cheaper and that uh, is disinflationary. So you can see that scenario where the Fed doesn't have to hike next year just because the dollar is strengthening and the rest of Europe is probably in a pretty bad economic situation. Patrick, how useful is this conversation around neutral? Neutral is such a fuzzy concept and they're talking yeah. about a short run neutral level a longer run neutral level. How useful, how valuable is that conversation right now? Well, if you get any insight onto what the Fed thinks is neutral, that's very important because that's the guy that'll guide you on where they're going to put policy. I don't think Powell believes it's at neutral right now. Um, you've seen a lot of liquidity in markets. You've seen meme stocks rallying. You've seen no earnings tech rallying. And you've not seen the Fed meaningfully reduce its balance sheet, which is the other thing they, they indicated they would be doing, which hasn't really happened yet. Um, but where neutral is, is something no one will ever know. Even looking historically, you never know exactly where it is. But it, it does guide the Fed in what they're trying to achieve while they're, I guess, driving half blindfolded. Patrick, good to catch up, sir. As always, Patrick Armstrong there of Plurimi Wealth. Right now on the airlines, and it is something, we've all got our stories about trying to get back to travel, trying to get back to normal. It's not. Savi Sith joins us, Airlines Managing Director at Raymond James. Savi, I want to get this out of the way right now. On a buy-hold-sell basis, which is the American airline to believe in over the next three to five years? Which is a stock that's getting it right? Hey, uh, so Tom, yeah, I think Delta is, is probably a, a good stock to own here. There's a lot of uncertainty. This is a cyclical sector. Uh, but I think you, you got quality there, a good balance sheet and, and you know, customer mm -hmm. service that's returning. So that's probably right. the stock to my colleague, Savi Paul Sweeney, has got me into looking at the app where I can watch the airlines take off. Last night at Newark, EWR, I basically saw controlled chaos. There were 17 planes in perfect weather trying to get up in the air. How did we get here where the actual physical airports are a mess? Yeah, the issue with the Northeast, though, is, and, and this has always been an issue, is it's, and you look out, it's perfect weather, but weather in Pennsylvania, you know, the weather in that whole corridor matters uh, to the airport. So it's, it's long been a frustration. Um, and, and on top of that, you know, you're, you're layering on more recently air traffic control staffing that's, that's lower than in the past. You're, you have kind of just across the supply chain at the airlines and the airports. Um, just staffing levels that aren't, you know, back to the productivity that we saw pre-crisis. Hopefully, as we kind of go through the following months, um, hiring picks up, people gain more experience. Uh, some of these issues should resolve. But unfortunately, the Northeast airspace uh, is, is a longer term issue that needs to be resolved and, and maybe using next generation uh, air traffic control systems. Well, and of course, that's not just a U.S. story. That's a global story. When you look at what's happening with airports and airlines in Europe, the EasyJet pilot strike in Spain beginning today, lasting three days. We know what's been going on at Heathrow with everyone from the people on the tarmac uh, on strike. As we talk about how fuel pressures have come down a bit, what about the wage pressures? Are those now going to be picking up as the people employed by the airlines depend, demand more because of inflation? 
Yeah, good point, Kaylee. Because and, and that's that's probably going to be diff different uh, on this side of the uh, Atlantic versus the other side, just the way the labor contracts work. But you make a really good point. In in the U.S. last year, you had a lot of the gate agents, ramp agents, where, where they were struggling to staff, and and so you saw a lot of uh, wage increases there. About you know twenty five percent live increases for entry level positions. But that's a very small portion of overall uh, airline labor costs. Uh, what we haven't really seen is flight attendants, pilots, mechanics, those contracts that be became amendable uh, right around before uh, COVID or right around COVID, which usually would have been amended by now that hasn't gotten done yet. We think it will get done in the next 12 uh, to 24 months, and, and you're probably going to see pretty big wage increases there. And so it kind of is still a big cost increase uh, yet to come for, for airlines here. Okay, Savi, so that's what the airlines are paying their people. Let's talk about what me and everybody else is going to have to pay to get on the plane itself. Have we seen peak fares and pricing power? Is it all downhill from here? <laughs> I think we've seen peak fares for the reason that, you know, earlier in the summer, you had this kind of uh, perfect storm of, you know, for, for various reasons, capacity that was being constrained and, and uh, capacity that was probably about 10 percentage points below demand. And as we go through, I think capacity is finally going to catch up to demand. It also happened at a time where fuel was, you know, it doubled in, in, a, in a very short period of, nearly doubled in a short period of time. And you have seen fuel pull back a little bit. Now that will be somewhat offset by labor costs that are coming. But I do think you're not going to see the level of uh, pricing that you saw earlier this summer. But because of that labor cost, right. I think it'll still be somewhat elevated. So, I mean, I want to go small here. I want to go from Grand Forks, North Dakota, where you schooled, 82 miles south, to Fargo. If I want to fly from Fargo to New York, it's almost cheaper to go to Minnesota, to Minneapolis, to fly out. Is American aviation given up on smaller cities? Not completely, and I think Fargo is, is probably going to continue to have service, but you're right. There are these pockets of areas that, that airlines are struggling right now because of pilot supply uh, to, to serve, and uh, I, I think that will get resolved over time, but it is for small cities, uh, you're going to see maybe less frequency um, or, or in, in very small city service, uh, instances, maybe no no service and, and that service getting dropped. And, it, and the result is a pilot supply issue um, oh, and a pilot cost issue. These are kind of 50-seat aircraft that it really gets hard to spread that fixed cost out uh, as, as pilot wages move up. Savvy, awesome to get your thoughts on this industry. Savvy Sith there of Raymond James, an industry we've all got an opinion on right now. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.